Welcome to the 229th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our look at week five of college football action, our look at week four of the NFL, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball now that the regular season is concluded and the playoffs are starting today. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in Major League Baseball. Patrick went one and three in his final Major League Baseball weekend series predictions. In the NFL, Patrick went two and two with his predictions. And in college football, Patrick went three and one. That brings him to an even Steven six and six combined record for the week. That brings him to an 816 and 549 overall record, a 59.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions. Well, I thought that a, f- a few things didn't go my way uh, that probably could have gone my way. Um, I will start with MLB and then talk about NFL in kind of the same vein. The reality is this week was a very uncertain week. Um, I picked the Saints. I guess, I guess I'm going to NFL, but the Saints I picked um, with Derek Carr being questionable going into the game. He did play, um, but they lost. And then also um, I picked the Ra- Sorry, I picked the Browns, but then it was revealed on Sunday morning that Deshaun Watson wouldn't be playing in that game. And I, I obviously would not have picked the Browns if I had known that Dorian Thompson Robinson was going to be starting against the Ravens instead. It's a very close game to begin with, but not when you throw him into the equation. Not that he's a bad quarterback. He was actually amazing in the preseason, but throwing a fifth-round rookie into a game just doesn't work out, and that happened with another team later this week that we'll talk about. Uh, But those are the two I got wrong in NFL. And then the Lions beat the Packers 34-20 to on Thursday night. I got that one right. And the Bills beat the Dolphins 48-20. to I got that one right. Lions taking over sole possession of first place in their division. Uh, have a big lead now, considering they have that tiebreaker of the Packers um, for now. And that win was obviously at Lambeau Field, which is really important because the Lions really just have to defend home field against the Packers. And they're going to be at a big advantage come postseason time in terms of who's going to make it out of that division. But that's all I got for the NFL. Um, and MLB, the thing that I was talking about, in terms of talking about it in the same vein um, with those injuries in the NFL to the important players, let's take the Brewers and the Cubs for an example. The Brewers took two of three from the Cubs, but that's because by Sunday, the Cubs had already been eliminated from the playoffs. So they had kind of lost their motivation and they didn't um, pull that series out. And the reason why they were eliminated is because the Marlins took two of three from the Pirates, which was the only series I got right this week. Um, In terms of the Astros and the Diamondbacks, I thought that was a coin toss. But I thought that with Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly lined up to pitch in that series and the Astros not having as strong of a rotation uh, towards the end of the season and definitely not having those guys pitch in those games, I thought that the Diamondbacks were going to be able to uh, rally there and make sure that they didn't somehow miraculously miss the playoffs in the last few days or to make sure that they didn't end up on the path of playing the Brewers in the first round and then the Dodgers in the second round. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how much worse it is to play the Brewers on the road than it is to play the Phillies on the road. So maybe it doesn't make that big of a difference. Um, But I expected the Diamondbacks to come up with more. Obviously the Astros sweeping the Diamondbacks actually led to them taking the division. Um, So it was a big deal that that happened. And then the Rays took two or three from the Blue Jays. Again, I thought the Blue Jays would be fighting for a playoff spot. And then they weren't by the last game. They had already clinched. So a lot of those third games became less important. And it kind of ruined those predictions when the series was tied uh, one to one, which was the case in the Rays and the Blue Jays. It was the ta- it was the case in the Brewers and the Cubs. And actually, when you think about it, the Brewers were, or sorry, the Rays were actually playing for technically home field advantage um, in the World Series if they were to match up against any non-Braves team uh, in the World Series. That's because they ended the season 
with 99 wins had the Dodgers lost on Sunday, they would have tied for home field advantage. And I believe the Rays had the tiebreaker in the season series. And if that's how it works, then that would mean that in a Rays Dodgers World Series, they would have home field. So technically that game mattered more to them uh, than it did to the Blue Jays, who had already kind of been locked into their spot and were at the mercy of other teams anyway. Um, but in college football, I'll go to that now. Uh, number 19, Oregon State beat number 10, Utah, 21-7. to This was also a really interesting game because I didn't know if Cam Rising was going to play. If he did, I would have picked Utah, and I think they would have won, but he didn't. Um, and I wasn't expecting him to because last week they said he dressed, but the doctors never cleared him of the play, which tends to be kind of an indication that the doctors don't want something to get re-injured, um, even if the player feels ready to get back out there. So I lean on him being out for longer than he should be at that point, just because that if he's warming up and dressing, but then not playing, I think that tends to carry on longer than a guy just not warming up at all. And then, you know, next week he might just randomly come out of the locker room and play. Um, number three, Texas beat number 24, Kansas 40 to 14. Another game that should have been closer, but wasn't close. Uh, Jason Dean was playing instead of Jalen Daniels, which made a big difference. Uh, and Kansas just, just didn't have the offense to beat Texas with a backup quarterback. Um, then number 11, Notre Dame beat number 17, Duke 21 to 14. Definitely the best game of the weekend. Uh, we'll talk about that in more depth later. Actually, maybe it wasn't the best game of the weekend. This was probably the best game of the weekend. I completely forgot about it. Number 20, Ole Miss beat number 13, LSU 55 to 49. This was the only prediction I got wrong this weekend um, in college football. Uh, this game was ridiculous. There was basically no defense played in the entire first half. It, it's crazy to say that, um, when both teams give up 20 plus in the second half, uh, that their defense is locked in in the second half, but it was 31 to 28 at half. I think both teams were averaging near 10 yards of play. Uh, so the fact that they both, that they gave up, I think the score in the second half, if you want to do that was like 24 to 21. So the fact that that, um, was, uh, was, I guess less scoring is crazy, but at the same time, I guess you could say the defense has stepped up in the second half. Ole Miss is definitely did at the end of the game though. Um, and got that win for them over LSU. Okay, that wraps up our look at Patrick's weekend predictions for this past weekend. His predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, 4thand24.com on Thursday. Let's keep with college football, probably talk about some of those games we just talked about, as Patrick said, in more in depth, uh, with our look back at week five in college football action, starting with the best games of the week. Well, you had number one Georgia go on the road and beat number well, unranked, actually, Auburn, 27 to 20. Uh, not very impressive, Georgia, in this game. Uh, it is the reason why, if you look at our poll yesterday, I put Michigan at number one because I don't I don't think that people realize that Auburn probably should be two and three on the season with two home losses in the SEC. Um, they should have lost to Cal, and they didn't, and Cal has struggled since then against very bad Pac-12 teams, i.e. Arizona State. So... I'm not exactly very high on Auburn and the fact that they stayed in this game against Georgia with only 60 passing yards or whatever it was in the entire game. It's a pretty bad sign for Georgia going forward. I'm not saying that they're not a good team, but um, they're definitely not. They're definitely not the number one team in the country. I think you can throw many different teams in that battle. Um, you can throw one of the teams I have on most impressive teams uh, that I'll talk about in a second. Uh, I, I'd like to throw Washington there based on the fact that and maybe before this week, because, you know, they didn't really have a dominant performance against Arizona, who's definitely worse than Auburn. I think there are a few teams that you could make the argument for, I guess, is the point I'm making. Even Ohio State, based on the fact that they've actually played somebody and beat an established team on the road, which is Notre Dame, albeit it was a very close game, but they did get that win. That's something that Georgia doesn't have. 
Um, and then if you look at Michigan, who I actually have at number one now, they actually have dominated much more than Georgia did last year. Um, in a very similar vein, by the way, to maybe if you go back to 2021 and you look at Georgia versus Michigan that year, it's kind of the, the same script, but it's a little bit flipped where Georgia in 2021 was just dominant, killing every team they played, barely giving up points and scoring a ton. And Michigan was, you know, they were winning games, but they were probably a little bit closer to some of the teams they shouldn't have been. They had a close game against Rutgers that I would compare to this Auburn game for Georgia. And this year, it's the flip script of that, where Michigan has been completely dominant, not allowing, I mean, they've allowed three touchdowns all year. One of them was garbage, two of them were garbage time. And then one of them was like the first play, was the third play of the game, I believe, for Rutgers. Um, and in all of those, that was the, those were the only points that the opponent scored in that game. So the first team defense for Michigan has basically given up 10 points all year, uh, if that, um, depending on how you want to count some of the points that Bowling Green scored that were turnover enhanced. But I guess my point with that is that, uh, yes, this was a good game. Auburn played them close. But frankly, the way Auburn's offense is, Georgia should not be giving up 20 to them. This is definitely not a Georgia defense of the past, and the offense isn't carrying them either. So I'm not too confident in this team uh, going forward, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, but we talked about it before, Ole Miss and LSU. This was a crazy game. Uh, Ole Miss scored, I think, on their first three of their first four possessions, they scored touchdowns on. But all of those possessions were in the first quarter. So this game was being played at white speed by both teams. Uh, it went into the half at 31-28, and I told you, these teams don't play defense, um, which honestly, I had fun watching it because of that. Those games are always kind of fun. It reminded me of the Chiefs-Rams game uh, a few years back on Monday Night Football. It was very reminiscent of that, um, as both teams almost put up 50. But Ole Miss ends up getting the win because of some poor LSU clock management. They took the clock down. I talked to you about it before. Um, they took the clock down 40 seconds before, I believe, before, sorry, before they kicked, um, before they went to score a touchdown, uh, they did score that touchdown, but they bled the clock down to like two minutes. And I told you, why are you trusting your defense? N neither team's defense, the whole game has done anything like what, what is the reason for trusting your defense that has given up 48 points at that point in this game? And in the end, I also said they're going to give up points. It's just a matter of how quick. And if LSU had 250 left, let's say, on the clock, then by the time Ole Miss had scored a minute and a half later, they would have a minute and a half themselves to go down the field and score. Instead, Ole Miss, of course, did score in a minute and a half. But LSU, instead of having a minute and a half themselves, had about 40 seconds, and that just wasn't enough. They actually did have a pass that at the end of the game, basically a Hail Mary, not really, though, because it was from like the 30 or the 35. It was catchable. Um, it was catchable. Yeah, they did have that pass at the end of the game that could have been caught um, and could have won the game. So they still almost won the game despite that. But LSU definitely could have done some things to put themselves in a better pos position, and they didn't do that. Um, and then so let's let's stick on that game really quick, because you and I did say both teams are playing this game at the end of the game like they want the other team to win, because it was evident that well, hey, not notwithstanding the penalties, it was evident that the last team that had the ball probably was going to win the game. And both LSU and Ole Miss, like you said, had a chance to run out, to, to run more time off the clock. And LSU did not succeed in not giving Ole Miss enough time. And then Ole Miss did not succeed in not giving LSU any time. So one of the most entertaining, but one of the most entertaining college football games you will ever see. Um, two quality opponents, like a heavyweight fight, right? With two quality opponents on offense, at least throwing haymaker after haymaker. But sure, yeah. Well, okay. Let's call them uh, the, the, one tier below the championship. 
Uh, just a really, really entertaining game. Sorry to cut in. Let's go to the last uh, best game of the week. Yeah, the last game of the week was Notre Dame against Duke. Duke played a great game to get themselves back into this. Notre Dame was up 10 to nothing at the half, but Duke shifted the momentum. Uh, I think actually, yeah, Notre Dame was up 13 to nothing at some point too, but Duke scored a touchdown at the end of the third quarter, scored another one in the fourth quarter to take a 14 to 13 lead. And then Notre Dame, Sam Hartman, I believe on a fourth and 16 or a fourth and 18, one of those two numbers. Fourth and 16. Yeah, ran for, okay, so then he ran for 18 yards then because I knew there were 18 somewhere there. Um, He ran for 18 yards on fourth and 16 with Duke rushing three men playing prevent defense. Um, And that was with, I think, about a minute and a half left. And that ended up leading to Notre Dame continuing that drive. I think they scored a touchdown literally one play later, uh, got the two-point conversion, and won the game over Duke. Obviously, though, they were already in field goal range, so they probably would have won it off of that anyway. But weren't quite in field goal range out on that fourth down because of the negative yardage on the drive um, or the negative yardage on that series. Duke had done a good job in the second half defending Notre Dame. They just couldn't get that one stop to get off the field and pull off the upset. And that really does change the playoff landscape. As crazy as that might sound for, you know, a non-top, a matchup with neither team in the top 10, Duke, if they had won this game, might end up in the top 10. Honestly, Um, I don't think, I, I don't know if they necessarily get all the way there, but I can tell you they would be ahead of LSU and Utah, so that would at least get them to 15. They'd be ahead of Notre Dame, obviously, because they just beat them. So that's at least 14. They'd be somewhere in that 13 to 12 range, or 10 to 13 range, in my opinion, uh, if they'd won this game. But instead, Notre Dame comes out with the win, and I would argue they keep their playoff hopes alive because they still do have some tough games on the schedule. Um, It'll benefit them that Louisville got ranked this week, so now that game becomes a ranked game uh, for them. And if they can pull out that victory, that will look good on their schedule. Um, but Notre Dame definitely still with only one loss to Ohio State still has a chance. Um, I don't quite know that they have a better chance than most teams because they obviously don't have a ability to win a conference championship. But if Duke had won that game, though, they have a game against Florida State coming up. That would be pretty much the decider of who makes it out of the ACC if one of them couldn't get revenge in the conference championship game. Uh, and still they can impact it. And by the way, one loss to Notre Dame, if they're able to beat Florida State on the road and beat them in a rematch in the conference championship game, they're not going to be left out of the playoffs. Um, so Duke, I don't think they are that type of a quality of team. But at the same time, this matchup was very, very important. And we might look back on it later um, as being a consequential matchup to deciding who was in the playoff. All right, let's move over to the most impressive teams of week five. I will start with Alabama, number 12 in the country, taking on Mississippi State. They won 40-17. to 17. I actually don't have too much to say about this game. I do think that Alabama um, defensively was about what I expected. But I do want to say that Alabama putting up 31 points in the first half really came out of nowhere. Uh, it's been proven at this point that Jalen Milrow is the quarterback Alabama has to go with. Uh, going forward I know he didn't have a good game against Texas but he is way better than either of the alternatives of Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner I I just have to say it was impressive that they actually had an offensive outburst it was something that I just didn't think they had in them especially against a team um, an SEC team on the road I don't think that Mississippi State is one of the better teams in the SEC by any stretch of the imagination but at the same time still a surprising result to see Alabama come up put out uh, come out excuse me put up 31 points in a half just not something I expected to see at all, um, but credit to Alabama for doing that. And then I put number 19, Oregon State, on this list for not giving up a single touchdown until the fourth quarter against Utah. 
You know it was Utah's backups, but they've been playing with them all year long. It's their fifth game. They've won some tough games with those guys. So to come out and basically in pitch a shutout for three quarters, um, it's very impressive. So Oregon State gets some credit for that and also for getting the bounce back after losing to Washington State on the road, not letting things spiral. And then number three, Texas. I'm giving them credit for winning 40-14. to I know Kansas didn't have Jalen Daniels. I know it wasn't the best lineup. Um, that Kansas put it could have put out there, but at the same time, Texas got a win over a ranked team and they got it by 26 points. Um, and I have not been the I, I well, I, I'll say this we probably overall, if you look at our poll, right? Texas is number three in the AP poll, I think they're like sixth or fifth in ours, so we're technically not as high on Texas as the nation is. Um, but I'm beginning to be more impressed with them. I just don't, I just honestly don't have the room to move them because you know. I'm not going to be like Lou Holtz and drop Ohio State five spots on their bye week just for no reason. Um, I do have to have a reason to drop a team. I dropped USC because they barely beat Colorado. But I will say one thing about this Texas team is that they're going to make the playoff if they keep playing how they're playing because they only have one real game on the rest of their schedule. And it's crazy. This week is the Red River showdown between Oklahoma and Texas. I talked about it before the season, how these two might have had, how Oklahoma at least, had one of the easiest schedules in the conference. I think Texas has already gotten through two of the games that were most likely to trip them up. First of all, they beat Alabama on the road, which was, was that was not supposed to happen. Um, that would be one loss on their season. I frankly, before the season, I'll pull it up in my initial predictions. I had them going nine and three. One of the losses was to Alabama. I did have them winning the conference though, and ending up 13th in the nation, I think, but I had them losing to Alabama, Kansas state and TCU. Here's what I can tell you. Kansas State is not as good as I thought they were. They might still have the best chance to beat them out of any of the teams remaining on their schedule. TCU is just not going to beat Texas. I, I don't even need to I, I don't even need to go into why. They're just that's just not going to happen. So I already have them as having maximum one loss going forward. And then there's this Oklahoma game. And on the other side of things for Oklahoma, they might have an even easier schedule going forward. Texas is the only ranked team they have. They have UCF at home. They have Kansas on the road. They have Oklahoma State on the road. They have BYU on the road. And the rest of their games are home games against West Virginia and TCU. So they probably only play the bottom of the conference. The only games they play on the road are at Oklahoma State and at BYU. Uh, BYU is the only one of the new additions to the conference that has a single conference win this year in the Big 12. And that was because they played Cincinnati, who was also an addition to the conference. So I don't see Oklahoma losing another game after this either. So honestly... This game might be a mini playoff game. This might be the quarterfinals of the college football playoff halfway through the season because neither of these teams are going to lose another game. I just don't see it happening. Um, so this is a really, really interesting game. Um, I, I did actually in the preseason give Oklahoma two losses, and one of them was to Texas, and the other one was to Kansas on the road. But I think Oklahoma has played a lot better than I expected them to, and I think Kansas has been a little worse than I expected them to be. So for both of these teams who I had losing to Kansas State and Kansas, I, I think. Texas and Oklahoma have shifted my expectations in the right direction. And those two Kansas teams have shifted them in the wrong direction. And I think now the separation gap is too big. The winner of this game is probably going to win the big 12. Um, I guess the one thing that could keep them out is if they rematch in the, in, in the big 12 championship game and the team who won this game loses that game, that would be kind of the only thing that could keep them out. But even still, I think a one loss champion um, of the big 12 that had only lost to the runner up of the big 12 earlier in the year, I think that team wouldn't be, kept out of the playoff but that'll be a different discussion for later i just don't see either of these teams losing though in the rest of the year after this game 
So uh, I was going to chime in there, but you made all of my points that the uh, Big 12, everybody who's in the Big 12, their schedule got a little bit diluted uh, by the addition of the extra teams for this for this year and some teams probably that are so extra teams that are stepping up uh, in, in competition and that they likely have to beat if even if they win this weekend, they likely have to beat Oklahoma twice, uh, which I think is going to be the case. I think uh, this is going to be an exciting weekend with that game. Oklahoma, a little laying in the weeds under the radar, ranked decently, but nobody knows who they are because. I don't think they've really played anybody. Um, so this will be a big test for Oklahoma and what is, uh, as you said, a traditional rivalry game that might get played twice this year. So we shall see. Uh, let's move off of the most impressive teams to other impressive teams, but in a different way with the biggest upsets from week five. Not necessarily the biggest upset, uh, but Kentucky beat number 22, Florida 33 to 14. Uh, it had to go on the board, though. I mean, the fact of the matter is, yes, Kentucky is 4-0. Florida is 3-1, but the eight people ranked them. We ranked them. So, yeah, it counts as an upset. Um, Kentucky, though, I will say, doing a good job of reloading um, talent. I didn't expect them to be as good without Will Levis, but yet here they are. Um, and then going back to the Big 12 for two games, uh, this, frankly, these two games is actually are, are actually the reason why I'm so staunch on Texas and Oklahoma. I thought UCF was one of Oklahoma's better opponents remaining. They lost at home to Baylor. So, uh, and by the way, Baylor scored 26 points unanswered in the fourth quarter to win this game, 36 to 35. UCF was up 35 to 10, and they were playing with a backup quarterback. So they actually had a really impressive performance, but then they completely fell apart in the fourth quarter. Um, and Baylor came out with a comeback. And by the way, Baylor was one in three with a loss to Texas State going into this game. So not exactly the best team. UCF moves to 0 and 2 in their Big 12 uh, history, actually. Um, and then the last game of the week, West Virginia went on the road and beat TCU 24 to 21. TCU had a 21 to 14 lead at the half. West Virginia scored 10 in the second half and pitched a shutout to beat TCU. The interesting thing about this game is like I was talking about, um, TCU was one of those opponents for Texas. I, I just don't, I don't see them taking that win anymore. Maybe West Virginia might end up ranked by the time that West Virginia and Oklahoma are matching up uh, on November 11th, late in the third to last week of the season. Um, for Oklahoma, but honestly, TCU for both of those teams, I don't think will be a challenge anymore. I thought that there was a chance that, you know, Oklahoma plays Texas. You never know what happens. Then they have a bye week and then they play UCF at home. They might sleepwalk through that game and UCF could catch them slipping. But based on how UCF has played, I don't see that happening either. Um, so that's another, another thing reinforcing that take about Oklahoma uh, and Texas and their collision course. Um, I, I do have to say though, it always makes me mad that that game is the sixth game of the year. I hope that the SEC doesn't keep that. Um, it's just so weird that that game is in the middle of the season every year when neither team, and by the way, it's also weird because Oklahoma State doesn't even play Oklahoma in the last game of the year. So it's not like they're saving that rivalry uh, for the end. They're just playing it in the middle of the year for really no reason. Um, but that's a different story. I guess the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State rivalry also used to be the last week of the year, but they just changed it this year because it's now a temporary one-year Big 12 schedule, um, and they're getting ready to adjust things for years in the future. Um, but yeah, that West Virginia upset was surprising, and when you look at them as a team, their only loss this year is to Penn State, so they're actually probably, they have completely flown under the radar. Um, Neil Brown might have been on one of the hottest seats in college football going into the year, but he's actually done a very good job rallying this team to be four and one this early on in the year with only that loss to Penn state and happy Valley, which is not a very easy place to win at all. Yeah. And uh, that 
might, might turn out to be a pretty impressive uh, and important game when we come down to college football time if we're trying to split hairs between a Big Ten team and a Big 12 team. Meanwhile, TCU, as we predicted, not having another championship season. All right, let's turn our attention away from college football over to the NFL with a look at week four action, starting with the closest games. Well, the Rams beat the Colts in overtime 29 to 23. It looks close on paper. It wasn't close in reality. The Rams were up 23 to nothing in this game. It's really a tale of three different games. Um, well, two different games and then one possession. The Rams were up 23 to nothing. The Colts came back, scored 23 unanswered to tie it. And then the Rams, which by the way, included two two-point conversions. So really just a dismal performance by the Rams defense in the second half. Uh, and then the Rams after not putting the game away on their second to last drive, not driving down the field and getting a game-winning field goal on their last drive of regulation, got a third chance somehow off the coin toss, and then finally punched it in on a Puka Nakua touchdown, and the Rams ended up with the victory. Um, then you had the Broncos over the Bears. Really similar game story. The Bears were up 28-7 to in this game and somehow allowed the Broncos to come all the way back and win 31-28, bar uh, basically because of a bad, bad decision. Um, by Matt Eberflus, he decided that it would be a good idea to not kick a field goal to go up 31 to 28 in the fourth quarter when the Broncos had all the momentum. He instead went for it on fourth down. They didn't get it. The Broncos got it back, kicked the field goal. Bears didn't have enough time left or timeouts left to go down the field and get a field goal of their own. And in the end, a Hail Mary fell just short of the end zone and the Bears lose that game. Just some baffling decisions, though, um, in that game and all. And it says a lot that a defensive-minded head coach can't even trust his own defense to go out there and win a game. So he tries to go for a touchdown instead of going for a field goal um, near the end of the game. That says a lot about that team. But the Bears, definitely one of the worst teams in the league. Probably, maybe maybe they are the worst, honestly, after what the Cardinals looked like this weekend because they didn't get killed by the 49ers, which everybody thought they would. Um, but moving on from that, the Eagles beat the Commanders 34-31 to in overtime. The Commanders had a ridiculous game, ridiculous game plan. If you remember last year, uh, they were the first team to beat the Eagles. The Eagles were, I think, 9-0 going into that game, something like that. Um, and they, I, I actually don't remember their exact record, but I can tell you for a fact that the Eagles didn't lose very many games last year at all. Just that one of the Cowboys, I think, and then one of the Commanders. Um, and that one of the Cowboys was also with Gardner Minshew playing quarterback, so that doesn't really count either. Um, but the Commanders beat them last year, so they've played them tough over the years. Um, especially recently, and Washington came out in this game with one, with five seconds left. They threw an incomplete pass. It was thought that the game was over um, because that pass was thrown short of the end zone and then not caught, but actually by not catching the ball, the commanders got one second left, and with that one second, they scored on a fourth and goal um, and sent this game to overtime. Unfortunately for the commanders, they did not do anything in overtime. They got the ball first but didn't score. Uh, and the Eagles were able to get into barely get into field goal range, though, I will say, because they kicked a 56 yarder to win it. So it's not like the commander's defense didn't do a decent job, uh, but the Eagles did come away with the overtime victory and stay undefeated. Then the Vikings got their first win of the year by being the Panthers 21 to 13. Um, Kirk Cousins threw a 99 yard pick six or a 95 yard pick six, something like that, uh, to give the Panthers the first score of this game. And it looked like the Vikings were going to lose another one and still stay winless on the year, but they did end up coming back in the second half. Justin Jefferson scored two touchdowns in the second half, and the Vikings ended up winning 21-13. to Then you have the Raiders and the Chargers. Speaking of fifth-round rookies, 
I believe Aiden O'Connell was picked in the fourth round, but he might have also been a fifth rounder. I don't, it was one of those two rounds. Um, and he started this weekend in place of Jimmy Garoppolo, who was injured. Uh, but the Chargers were able to get the victory 24 to 17. They did not score in the second half, but part of that was because Justin Herbert was playing with a splint on his finger, um, which doesn't, that's not very comfortable as a quarterback. Um, but they ended up getting the win, and that's what's important. They are two and two now, even though they've only played one game with Austin Eckler. So that's not really bad for the Chargers when you consider how badly things could have started and the fact that they almost lost the Vikings last week. Um, and then you have the Chiefs and the Jets. Um, I'm not going to talk about the 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 combination, uh, the couple of a man whose name starts with T and his girlfriend whose name starts with T. I'm not talking about that at all. I will never talk about that at all. Um, and frankly, I'm mad that the NFL is making that as big of a deal as they are. Um, but the Chiefs beat the Jets 23 to 20. Uh, that was the important part of Sunday night, although maybe not to most people. Um, but the Chiefs started out this game and it looked like what we thought Chiefs Jets would look like. It was 17 to nothing. The Jets first score of the game was on a safety because of a face mask in the end zone by the by the Chiefs. So it was really sloppy. It, it was a typical Jets game. And then all of a sudden, Zach Wilson kind of came alive. And this game was actually tied 20 to 20 at the end of the third quarter. The Chiefs had to score a field goal and then have a clock draining drive to actually come out with the victory uh, over the Jets. So honestly, an impressive performance by the Jets to keep this one close against one of the best teams, if not the best team uh, in the NFL. But the Chiefs do end up with the win anyway. All right, let's move over to the most impressive teams of week four. I already talked about them a little bit. Uh, but the Lions win over the Packers was a very, very good win. Very important for the division. They started out with a 27-3 lead at the half, um, and they were able to kind of bottle up that momentum, and that was just enough for them to win the game. The Packers tried to mount a little bit of a comeback, but it, it wasn't close enough at all. Um, then you have the Cowboys, who just dominated the Patriots. They don't have Trayvon Diggs anymore, so their defense isn't as good as it once was, but they came out, they scored a defensive touchdown like they seemingly always do. Um, and I won't say this game was supposed to be like super, super close game of the week type of a game. I didn't even predict it, but it was not supposed to be a blowout. Um, so the Cowboys doing that was very, very impressive. Uh, then you have the Bills who won 48 to 20. You might think I'd be impressed with the offense that put up 48, but we already know what the Bills offense can do. I was impressed with the Bills defense because the Dolphins just put up 70 points last week and they held them to 20. They only gave up six points in the second half. They actually played a very, very good game defensively. Um, and I know giving up 20 doesn't normally constitute a good game defensively. And the rest of the teams that I'm going to talk about gave up less than 10 points. Um, but against that offense, the Bills did a great job of locking them down. Tyreek Hill, I think, only had three catches for 58 yards or so. And um, the Bills tend to be one of the teams that deals with him better than most. Um, but still, a great performance by the Bills gives them a good indication of what their team is like and maybe beating the team that arguably had played the best, maybe not the best team, but had played the best um, in the beginning part of the season here. So that was a big win for the Bills. Then you have the Ravens who beat the Browns 28-3. I kind of talked about this in my weekend predictions with Dorian Thompson-Robinson playing. Uh, the Ravens now all of a sudden taking control of that division um, and really affirm control of it because the Titans beat the Bengals 27-3. The Bengals are now 1-3. They look totally out of sync. Now T. Higgins is injured. Um, th they really just haven't fixed any of the issues that we thought they would. And it kind of all comes back to Joe Burrow's injury. But I don't really know how they can solve that without sitting him down for a few games. And they would lose those games anyway. So it might be better to just play him injured and hope he doesn't, A, aggravate the injury, and B, that maybe they can win the game or two out of those. Um, and then you have the Buccaneers who beat the Saints 26-9. to 
Very, very important in the divisional race there. The Saints just not getting anything going offensively as the Bucs uh, put the clamps on defensively. And that leads to the Buccaneers taking the lead in that division. And then finally, you have the Seahawks who won 24 to 3. They only outgained the Giants by about 25 yards yesterday, but they had 11 sacks on the night. And that was a huge difference. Um, as they ended up winning by 21 over the Giants on Monday Night Football, a dominant performance by the Seahawks to get that win. Yep. Rarely do you see that dominant of a performance on the road at night on Monday Night Football, right? So uh, good things going. Not even the rarely. They set an NFL record for sacks. See, I told you it was rare. Uh, insane. Uh, insane performance and, and help cover up a little bit of a quarterback injury to uh, the Seahawks who stand at three and one. But we'll see how their starting quarterback's doing. And Geno Smith got banged up. All right. That wraps up our look at the NFL. Um, let's now turn our attention to Major League Baseball with our weekly review of MLB action. But with the regular season being over, we will look forward at the playoffs, starting as always in the American League with our wild card predictions. Yeah, I mean, I can do a little bit of a recap of the end of the season. Basically, all you need to know is that the Rangers and the Mariners are playing an all-important series. Um, and the Mariners did the had the exact result that they could to both A, miss the playoffs, and B, gift the Astros the division. Um, they had to win three of four, and the Astros had to sweep the Diamondbacks, and that was the only scenario heading into the weekend where the Astros would win the division because if the Mariners had swept, they would have won the division. But instead, the Mariners got three of four, gave the Astros the divisional lead over the Rangers, um, and the Astros now enter the postseason as the two seed after entering the week out of the playoff picture, which is crazy. Um, the Mariners, meanwhile, missed the playoffs as a result. And the Rangers end up here where we're talking about playing the Rays in the first series. The Rangers enter the postseason as the fifth seed against the fourth seeded Rays. Winner of this one will take on uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I'm going to predict the Rays in three. I think that Tyler Glasnow will come out with a strong start today. And frankly, by the time this comes out, this game might have already started. I will just say that. I don't know how quickly I'm going to be able to get this one out based on my classes. So if you're if you're listening to this while that game is already going on, uh, let's just hope that Tyler Glasnow didn't already give up six runs before I finish the sentence. But I think he's going to come up with a strong performance. I think the Rays' playoff experience is going to shine through. However, I do want the Rangers to win, and I will put that out there. I, I like the story of the Rangers and any of their players who I don't like very much. Well, they're not playing anyway. So... Um, I'm not really, uh, but I will say that I think I would have picked them had they not had the Scherzer injury, but um, I don't believe if Scherzer is going to try to come back and he's going to be half injured, he's going to mess up the rest of the rotation and that's going to lead to kind of a downward spiral. And if he doesn't come back, I just don't think they have strong enough pitching um, with DeGrom out as well. Obviously DeGrom and Scherzer, if you just had one of them available with Montgomery uh, with the Evaldi, I would believe in this team, but I do think the Rays have the slight advantage because of the fact that they have that postseason experience. And in a shorter series, I like the Rays pitching staff. It's just that as you get longer, those injuries that they've had throughout the season are going to stack up and they're going to look a lot worse. But I trust Savali and I trust Glasnow at the top of the rotation to secure a victory for the Rays. Well, I think the Rangers uh, flipped the switch, uh, reverse course from their recent slide. We're actually not talking about the Rays um, regular season after their huge, crazy start. I wouldn't call it a slide, but they did really fall off a cliff after that ridiculous start. They had a lot of injuries. Um, I'm just going to, it's a close one. It's hard. I'm going to go with my gut and say the Rangers figure out a way uh, to flip the switch and, and, and get the bad taste out of their mouth from this past weekend and uh, that they take it in three. 
So well, let's the move one to the thing Blue about the Rays, though, that you that 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 you did leave out is that they did end up winning ninety nine games. They just had they did have a long slide, but it was a span where they went under five hundred, kind of in the middle of the season for a long span, and you didn't notice it because well, not I'm not saying you, but the general public didn't really notice it because of that good start. But once they lost control of the division of the Orioles, they really never. They, I don't think they trailed by more than three or four games at any point. So they actually did stick in a division a divisional race within a hundred game winner. They just didn't have quite enough to overtake the Orioles by the end of the season. Um, as I think the Orioles went on to win 102 games. Um, and the only team with more wins are the Braves. So the Orioles had a great season. The Rays would have won literally any other division other than the NL West um, and the NL East. So the Rays definitely did a better job at the end of the season when things mattered. And that's the reason why I have the confidence in them. And like you said, the Rangers slid at the end of the year, they really backed into the playoffs. And that's something that gives me a little bit of pause about that team. Yep, I think there'll be a reversal of fortune, but we shall see. Uh, and it is a very short series, as you said. So um, we're going to know here pretty soon uh, what the results of this one are. Let's move over, as I was mentioning, to the Blue Jays versus the Twins in the other American League wildcard series. This one we definitely agree on. I have the Blue Jays in three. I mean, maybe part of this is just the fact that the Twins haven't won a playoff series in so long that picking them feels like it just can't happen. But at the same time, I do want to see – I'm rooting for underdog stories this playoffs. Maybe part of that is that the Dodgers don't enter the postseason as the favorites for once in, I don't know, like six years. Um, but maybe that's contributing to it. So I feel like even my team is an underdog, even though they're not really an underdog. Um, but I don't know. I want the Twins to win. I just don't see it happening. I think that the one thing that the Blue Jays do have, they the, the one thing that does scare me about this series, though, for the Blue Jays is that the Twins actually might have a better top of the rotation than the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays, I think, have the most balanced rotation, honestly, in the entire league. It's just that the top-level guys haven't actually been – they don't really have a true ace. Kevin Gosman is their ace, but his stats this year have not been the Cy Young quality that he had in past years, whereas, meanwhile, the Twins, Pablo Lopez has been really, really good. Um, and I think Sonny Gray's kind of the same story. Joe Ryan as well. Uh, Bailey Ober, although I think one of those two is in AAA by the end of the year because they've had some injuries and then – some bad performances, but the twins overall, I still think have a strong enough uh, rotation to keep this series close. And I think that the top of the rotation can really threaten, but I think their bullpen is where things start to fall apart. And I think that the blue Jays offense will just be too much for the twins. Once they can really get past the starters, I don't really think um, that the twins stand much of a chance. And I think that the blue Jays offense is just way better overall as well. And that's going to help them a lot. Well, and I think my uh, my pick here of the Blue Jays in three is just because with the Twins not having any postseason success uh, over the last several years, I can't remember how long it's been since they won a game. It's it has it's just not, hard. it has not happened since I was born. It's just very hard to pick them to win a series. So I'm picking them to win a game. Um, the other thing that's going on here is Minnesota's having abnormally warm weather. So it's not like the Blue Jays are going to be forced to play in some conditions that they're not used to play in, playing in. So uh, I'm going to say the Twins break break their streak of not winning any games, but they don't get two wins. They only get one and the blue Jays uh, move on in three, like you think. So uh, with the American league predictions under our belt, let's now turn our attention to the national league wildcard series, starting with the brewers against the diamondbacks. I have the diamondbacks in three. Um, I had the brewers before hearing that Brandon Woodruff would be out for the series and potentially the playoffs as a whole, which is going to be a different discussion later on. Um, but I guess I'm just saying that, you know, Without the, we talked about it. The top of the rotation is so important in a best of three scenario. 
Um, when you're talking about throwing Burns, Peralta, and Woodruff out there, I say there's no way the Brewers don't win two of those three games against um, a, a relatively inexperienced team. But now when you're talking about the fact that the Diamondbacks are going to have Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen for game two and game three, if they get there, um, I think they're going to be able to pull it out because the fact of the matter is they don't have they don't have a third starter to the quality that the Brewers did. But now that Woodruff is out, I actually do think the Diamondbacks might have a better rotation. I think that Zach Gallen is Zach Gallen has had pretty much an equal season, if not maybe a better season than Corbin Burns. Um, and Woodruff was really the ace since he's come back from his injury. But obviously, now that he's not going to be pitching, that's irrelevant. Um, Zach Gallen, or sorry, Merrill Kelly and Freddie Peralta have been about even. And I think that overall, the Diamondbacks, they might, the one, the, I'll say this the risky thing about this team is that there is virtually no playoff experience on this entire roster because it's one of the youngest rosters in the league. Um, but I do believe that they got their taste of important baseball at the end of the season. I know it went horribly wrong against the Astros, um, but I think that that might be a little bit of a wake-up call to them of how they need to play in the postseason. And I actually think that if you look at this team, they are built for A, the new era, and B, the postseason. They steal so many bases. They're always taking the extra base. Um, and in a series against a team like the Brewers, who are very analytical and like to do things like that, the Diamondbacks have the advantage on paper in terms of actually executing those scenarios with how much speed they have. Um, and I'm going to pick them. Maybe it's just because I've watched way more NL West baseball than NL Central baseball. And I believe in what the Diamondbacks have done over the course of the season. And I'm thinking that they can reclaim some form from earlier in the year. But I think they've done well enough in important games that I, I believe in them going forward. And I think that some of the rookies, some of the rookies might have a little bit of a slide, but some of the rookies might step up. Um, and that will be enough for them to end up winning the series in three games, but it will be very, very close. And the fact that I flipped it just because of Woodruff being out just tells you how close I think the series will be. Yeah, and I, I had the Brewers in three and heard about Woodruff and was tempted to flip, and I decided I would stick with it, that the Brewers, I think they're experienced and they have just enough starting pitching, only got to win two games, um, and experience at the pitch in the pitching in particular as opposed to young starters uh, who might get ra might get rattled. They also have obviously more experience um, up and down their lineup. I'm just going to go with the experience here um, and stick with the Brewers in three. And like you said, maybe a little selfish on my part because uh, I think the winner of this series goes to play the Dodgers. And I'd love to see a, a weekend, uh, even the, even the playing field a little bit with the Dodgers playing another veteran team that's missing a, a key starter. Um, all right, let's move over to the last wild card series. That's the Phillies versus the Marlins. Well, you talked about it. I should have mentioned last time that uh, the Blue Jays twins winner will play the Astros, but uh, I guess that's obvious since I said that they're playing the Orioles. Diamondbacks Brewers winner plays the Dodgers and the winner of this series plays the Braves, which means that, by the way, we have a guarantee there will be an NL East team in the NLCS because there's an entire bracket of NL East teams playing each other, the Phillies and the Marlins as the four and the five seed playing each other with the winner taking on the Braves, like I said. Um, and then obviously that would be the winner would go on to play the winner of Brewers, Diamondbacks versus the Dodgers. Um, but I have the Phillies in three. Um, I'm giving the Marlins a game here. I, I would probably honestly, okay, I wouldn't pick the Marlins um, if they had Sandy Alcantara, but I do think that this series would be a lot closer, even though I'm saying it's Phillies in three. I'm really just saying that because I don't, I feel like it's irresponsible to pick teams to sweep a two game series just because it's so short. Um, but in reality, I think that out of all the series, I think the Marlins do what they normally do, which is win one, one tight one run game. Um, but in the end, I think the Phillies do pull it out. It is worth mentioning though, that I, I feel like subconsciously, and I'm going to actually look this up to back it up. 
But every single time I pick the Phillies to beat the Marlins, I really feel like the Marlins actually come out and win those games. And they're also so good in one-run games that I don't really know um, if they're going to be able to actually take home this victory. I, I think that the Phillies obviously have the best, have a better um, team on paper, but it's worth mentioning. The Marlins are seven and six against the Phillies on the season. So they actually do have the head to head advantage in the series. Um, I don't know how much that's going to play a factor in this because it is the playoffs and that's totally different, but there have been a lot of one run. I mean, the Phillies have played some dominant games in this series. If you look at the game scores, but the Marlins have won four one run games against the Phillies this season. So if the game is close, the Marlins might actually be able to pull this one out. It's also important that Luis Arias was actually injured towards the end of the season. So that's kind of diminishing my confidence in the Marlins, even though they did win the season series. That's why I have the Phillies in three, just because of the season series. And then that, um, and then that arise injury, I actually might pick the Marlins if arise was perfectly healthy. And if I had seen some better things from their lineup and a fully healthy pitching staff, but because of all the things going on in the background, I do still have the Phillies winning it in three. All right. Well, I'm going to do an irresponsible thing and I'm going to pick the Phillies in two. I know maybe this is a fashionable pick because of what the Phillies did last year. Um, but I just think their lineup is too potent. Um, and I, I think that I got to pick somebody to win in two. Maybe I think they're the most likely to win the, win a series in two games. Uh, Marlins are a great story up and coming team, but I think the Phillies, uh, Phillies get it done and uh, sets up a very, very compelling uh, matchup between the two, uh, the last two uh, reigning uh, NL champions. So um, frankly, if, if we have the predictions the way we think they're going to go, or we're going to have three of the last, all three of the last NL champions uh, in the next round. So it'd be pretty compelling over there in the national league. All right. That wraps up our look at major league baseball for this week. It also wraps this edition of the fourth and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, October 10th, where we will once again, look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, have a look back at week six of college football action, take a look at week five of NFL action and have our review of the major league baseball playoffs. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including the 4th and 24 college football poll that is posted every Monday, Patrick's Major League Baseball power rankings that are updated every Wednesday, Patrick's picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday. And you can keep checking on how uh, Patrick's predictions for the entire college football season are panning out, given that we are now uh, one-third through the regular season. All that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.